Hello listeners, welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast, the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that change everything. I'm your host, Ian McNally, and in this episode, I talk to Fraze and Grum from Exit Brewing. It's a bumper episode, so I won't do too much talking. There's 12 beers to get through, six from Fraze and six from Grum. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast, the podcast where guests talk their way through six beers that changed everything for them. Today, I've got Fraze and Grum from Exit Brewing. Welcome. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. So, Fraze and Grum, Exit, tell us a little bit about, first off, you're a very young brewery. Tell us about how you came to be and... All right, well, will I start and kick things off? Yeah, you go. As usual, yeah. Yep. Um, well, I guess Graham and I uh, spent a fair bit of time, uh, well, over 10 years living in the UK. Um, we were based over there um, on an IT gig that just seemed to be never-ending for a while, which was great for the bank balance, but not too much for the inspiration, I guess, you know. And um, while over there, we'd uh, made quite a few trips to Belgium and... Uh, I guess fell in love with beer over there, uh, sort of inspired us, and then we, I guess we, there was the uh, the kind of the new wave of craft beer kicking off around the UK. Probably, you know, probably Brewdog smashed down a lot of doors for people, but there was a lot of other really, really good breweries like Thornbridge and the Colonel and that that were sort of, I guess, around at the time. And um, we just sort of, I, I guess, we got to the point of the beer where we thought, oh, look, let's, um, you know. Why don't we give this home brewing thing a bit of a lark, you know, just to just to see what the what it's like, and that's when I guess we started home brewing probably, you know, probably around about ten years ago. So um, that's sort of how it originated, I suppose. Can I ask, um, when you were going to trips to Belgium and things, were you going for the beer, or were you going to actually see the sites and beer just happened to be? Well, there? no, I think we went for the beer and then managed to squeeze in a few sites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wanted yeah. to sell that. <laughs> Fortunately, Belgium's really small, and you can see all the sites really quickly. <laughs> and then, and then, usually by twelve, you go, "Oh, it's time for a beer now. Well, where, where, where shall we go?" And it's pretty flat as well, so oh, not, yeah. not, not too many problems there. It's just that's why it's the best country in the world, really. You know? <laughs> small, flat, and has lots of really good beer. So, and then, what was the journey though? Because a lot of us do a bit of homebrew, and we, you know, we we get a bit sick of the cleaning sometimes, and then we put it in the shed for a bit and then we get it back out and we get enthusiastic again. At what point did you kind of think we're onto something here? Oh, I, th- I think um, from the time we started home brewing, I'd, I'd spent probably a couple of years thinking uh, if I wasn't working in IT, what could I do that would not just be a job that lasted for six months that I then hated and did a job that I hated again but got paid a lot less money. Um, so went through hobbies, things I enjoyed, and yeah. So when we started home brewing, probably it was with uh, the hope that we could open a, a brewery at some point. So um, yeah, we pretty much moved as quickly as possible to all grain brewing and um, did a lot of reading and tried to understand it as as well as we could. So uh, and bring up the quality of the beer as quickly as possible. So so that was um, sort of in your mindset from really the the start of your home yep, brewing. Absolutely, was, that's fantastic. Yeah. So. Um, I wish I was that dedicated to it. <laughs> um, had you sort of looked at any other um, brewers around or business models to try and replicate what they were doing, or did you were you just doing this from your own sort of vision? Uh, I don't think we had any particular brewery. Like I did a lot of brewery tours, uh, more in- interested in the process rather than the business model, I guess. 
Um, but I don't think we took on any um, model. No, no, I don't think so. I think that there was a couple of a couple of things that probably inspired us and influenced us. Uh, certainly, um, we were fortunate, I guess, to be in and around the UK and really, really into craft beer, just literally as Brewdog were kicking off. Um, and obviously, everybody knows how huge Brewdog have become now. Um, but I mean, we, Grum and I, actually, we're Equity for Punks members right back to the very first year. We went to the first AGM up in Fraserborough and Aberdeen in Scotland when it was about minus 12. And <laughs> there was actually doubt the plane being able to get up to Aberdeen um, that weekend. So I think seeing those two guys, James and Martin, um, I guess, start for where they did. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot different model to what we've done, but... Just two guys that sort of gone, right, okay, this is what they want to do. And like them or hate them in terms of where, you know, how you feel about them, what they've been able to achieve and um, in, in beer and uh, do, going about their own way and really shake up the whole UK industry because what a lot of people probably in Australia don't appreciate is that the beer industry over there was, to be honest, pretty boring at the time as mm. as was said there was a lot of really good real ale uh, breweries so fantastic beers um, really really good but the you know a lot of the sort of the the bigger beers you know particularly from the US and that there wasn't those kind of style of beers um so they brought kind of that um you know more that sort of i guess that influence from the yeah, US yeah the, the new world kind of yeah experimentation and and freedom yeah that's ex- exactly and i think probably the other brewery that had that inspired us that probably we could, you know, give it a go ourselves. Um, at the other end of the scale was a little brewery in London called The Colonel. Um, just an absolutely fantastic little brewery that was only open to the public from 9am till 3pm on a Saturday. And it was kind of a rite of passage. You'd go down there um, and it might be December, January, two degrees Celsius, and you stand out there with your jacket beanie gloves and everything and you're chatting to a bunch of fellow you know beer enthusiasts and um standing outside drinking beer and you know ridiculously cold temperatures but the beers were absolutely fantastic um and what that illustrated to us i think was that you can actually do really really good beers that the that are really popular for people and you can create a an enthusiasm for um you know your brand and your beers if you do it really well even at a really small scale, because they were they were a tiny little setup, you know, at the time. So I mean, much smaller than even what we started with when we did. So, so yeah, that was certainly a big influence, I think, as well. So yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with uh, with both of those breweries, and, and probably particularly Brewdog is the scene in the UK. Although the real ales were very good, they they were very traditional, very boring, and any kind of difference in them was frowned upon and still is kind of there still is a um for the rusted on camera ale members they don't want any change but really that craft beer sector has forwarded really by Brewdog has changed completely the, the the scene in the uk and um clubs and bars and pubs even have really had to up the game in terms of just because they've been dragged up by by the likes of Brewdog. but yeah it's it's fascinating maybe i'm fascinated by it <laughs> we should so i just want to ask you one question before we start getting into your uh, six beers what is it about um exit brewing that makes a difference i get i guess graham and i and i think it's the same with anything when you're starting off something whatever whatever sort of industry or whatever business or whatever whatever it is you're doing i think you, you want to be seen to be real 
and being and doing something that you know people can look at you and go, I know those people are fair income. I know that that's not bullshit. That's not some marketing spiel. That's not crap behind that. These guys love and believe what they're doing. So I think that pretty much most people who've either met us in the industry or like, you know, and through, you know, having beers with punters around, I don't think any of them would have a, a different opinion to that. I would, I would, I would think that they would see that. Um, I think the thing probably in terms of beer wise, I, I think the fact that um, we're probably seen to be brewing some pretty interesting beers, you know, well, I mean, we launched before we had a core range, we launched with a beer and we launched with a Belgian style Saison. Uh, in fact, well, our first three beers that we launched with were a, a Belgian Saison. Um, what was it? The Scot- Scotch Ale. Yeah, a strong Scotch Ale at 7.5%. Yeah, and, and then a Milk Stout. And then a Milk Stout. So Which you don't, you, well, especially two and a half years ago, you didn't see many of those, if any, going around regularly in Australia. Mm. So something interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess also, t- taken on from that, our core range of four beers is um, an American-style Amber Ale, uh, a milk stout, uh, a 7% West Coast-style IPA, and a Belgian Saison. So although it's a core range, there's not too many breweries going around that have a core range probably that encapsulates that many different sort of flavour profiles, I guess, as well. So it's, and it's, I guess, in a way, we kind of, we've kind of taken on the thing, because it took us a long time to get a core range, to say, look, you know, if we're going to have a core range, let's have something that sort of challenges people's, uh, you know, traditions of what they expect a core range to be like, you know. So, um, and it also showcases how much beer has to offer, I think, between those four those four beers. So I think that's, you know, in terms of if we're looking at a point of difference kind of thing, you know, probably one of those things I'd look at. So. Yeah, I think it's a really brave core range, and uh, but I think it is paying dividends in, in terms of quite brave for those first three beers as well. But when you look at even from two years ago to now, that's really right on on a trend for for what you're doing there. But I actually tried your milk stouts for the first time last week, and it was delicious. Oh, so, <laughs> so it's been very popular for yeah, us. Yeah, really, sure. really good. Um, so let's get started, Grom. I'm going to start with you uh, for your first chosen brew. Six beers that changed everything. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, my first I'll call uh, Rochefort 8. Um, so I guess spending a lot of time in Belgium, it was probably two or three years. It was probably my favourite beer um, that was available, and you could sort of would go over there. Often would go for as short as a day trip, um, but then would load up a bag or a suitcase with the takeaways from um, the convenience stores over there, and so bring them back and yeah, have them readily available in our houses. So um, I just think it's it's a beer with uh, an, an amazingly complex uh, and rich flavour. Um, that, yeah, that was kind of kind of defined what Belgian beers were to me for for a good period of time. And what um what percentages is that one? For? Uh, ten point eight is nine. Oh, nine point two. Yeah, nine point two. Nine point two. So it's not for the faint-hearted. It's not a session beer, no. <laughs> oh, it's, it's quite a good traveller that one. There's a Eurostar yeah, on the way. That's true. Yeah. And can I ask? Uh, can you remember how many euro you were shelling out on? A bottle uh, of that one? One euro 30 something maybe? <laughs> nah, 180 or it was, one, 180, yeah. Because yeah, okay. cause I, I remember there was a massive dra- jump from Rochefort 8, which was 180, and then the scandalous rip-off price of like three euros for a Rochefort 10, which was just ridiculous. It's like, how could you bother justifying an extra one euro 20 to get a Rochefort 10? <laughs> so I'll stick to the Rochefort 8. That was always my, you know, cheapskate philosophy anyway. It was like, yeah. yeah. Or, uh, or if you wanted to try and buy a Westwater in. 
The, oh. the price might jump just a tad more to <laughs> 20 odd bucks at 20 euro or something. Yeah. <laughs> something. If you could get it. Yeah. <laughs> Phrase, first, first choice. Yeah, well, mine's, uh, you know, great. <laughs> Grummer's hit it out of the blocks here because uh, I've got nothing as exotic as that. Um, but it does deserve a mention, um, and it's Madil- Matilda Bay's Dog Bolter, uh, which was a dark lager. Um, it's something I drank um, quite a lot of in my younger, my probably my, I'm guessing, late teens, early 20s. It was on at this bar um, near where I worked at the time. Um, in uh, Flinders Lane in the city, which doesn't exist now. This it was a really cool underground bar, and the main reason I actually started drinking it was I really, really liked the glasses, and I used to seem to always take some home with me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not necessarily proud of this fact now, but um, they were really, really good glasses. Um, but because <laughs> because of the glass, I started drinking it. But it it showed me, I guess. Um, you know, it was probably the first dark beer that I'd had that I'd sort of really... So it was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting and I like it and, you know, and all this had lots of flavour. So that kind of probably influenced me a little bit in the game. Oh, you know, there's some other good... You know, it's not just a VB Carlton Draft kind of world. It's, you know, there's a, other stuff out there, so... It sounds like a nice pub that allowed you to buy the glasses as well. Yeah, that, that's, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Take away, yes, absolutely. Uh, Takeaway policy was excellent. Yeah. So with that in mind, uh, exit... Are you planning any um, glasses to glassware to accompany your beers, or do you think people might take them away? Oh, well, well, <laughs> well, to be fair, after what I just said, I couldn't really, you know, cry a, a river of tears if uh, they did. But um, oh, look, I think down the line is something. I mean, there's there's a couple of well, one of the guys, Ben from Crafted Glass, who does a lot of um, his own individual gla- glassware, and he's a terrific guy. Um, if we were to do something, I'd, I'd kind of like to do something with a local designer like that, you know. I mean, I, I must admit, I know that there's a lot of things out there in the the beer land where people get obsessed about the shapes of beer glasses and goblets and all this kind of thing for each individual style of beer. I'm not generally one of those. I, I do like a nice tulip glass when I'm out and about. Um, but beyond that, I'm not too fussy about the shape, really, you know. I mean, if I'm at home, to be honest, I, I my go-to tasting glass is a Lefe blonde glass goblet that I've got at home that I got and I did buy this I must point out when I was in Belgium um, that I brought back with me because it's a, it's just a nice shape and it allows the aroma to come through and everything so yeah. Perfect so one of the questions I normally ask on Chosen Brew is your perfect receptacle or what you'd consume the six beers out of so that that's yours? I, I'd go I'd, I'd probably go tulip glass yeah yep. yeah I think so yeah that's that's mine if I had to pick one yeah definitely. Excellent yeah. Grum I'll save yours to later we'll we'll keep the listeners uh on talks there. So. No, 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 no. It's going to be a long 20 minute wait they're going to be spewing they might you should listen to some more guys there'll be some good stuff before Grum gets to his glass. <laughs> so I will also ask you your ultimate beer snack to accompany the six beers so you can be thinking about that one if you haven't chosen already. Um Grum second choice. Uh yeah okay my second I've put down as a Brewdog 5am saint. Um it was an experience as much as the beer. I think it was when we were up there for their first AGM. Um, we were up having a tour of their brewery and they had 5am Saint in the bright tank. So it was uh, very fresh and I think it might have been the first time I tried it. Um, and just the balance and the freshness um, and the environment. And yeah, I think it was one of those beers that I will always remember having. 
um, and a beer that I loved for years as well. So kind of probably the first time I'd had an American amber um, as a style. So yeah, got me onto a style and yeah. And in terms of where Brewdog is, you saying about the setting? What is the setting at Brewdog? You, you're quite, it's quite isolated, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, this is the old brewery, so this was up at Fraserburgh, mm. which is um, basically an old, it's was it a fishing town, I guess. Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah. That, and I think it's the heroin capital of Scotland. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's certainly fishing involved as well. Yeah, uh, and a f- small industrial area, and yeah, not much, uh, not very picturesque, and um, yeah. But their new brewery is um, down in Allen uh, as a suburb of uh, Aberdeen. Um, and well, it looked a lot nicer when we were there. It wasn't quite finished last time I was there, but yeah. And a tad bigger. A little bit bigger, yeah. I imagine. Okay, okay. About a <laughs> yeah. thousand times the size. <laughs> so Ray's second choice. Right, second one for me. Yeah, okay. Um, my second one is uh, just uh, Hoogarden the uh, wheat beer from uh, Belgium. Um, once again, it's not a beer that I probably drink. I'm not a massive fan of, of wheat beers, to be honest, um, but it was one of those beers that obviously living in the UK and going to Belgium quite a lot, it was readily available over there. And uh, and so it was, It it I guess it threw me into a, duff, a different area where there was a lot of, you know, different aromas and styles and flavours going on, you know, in the beer and it was just probably the next step on my journey, you know. Uh, there, so so yeah, it was a it was a really really and on a on a, you know, on a hot day, uh, warm sunny day, you know, having one of those beers is great until the effects that it has to me the next day, which is pretty much why I don't drink wheat beers anymore. So <laughs> my my head doesn't like it really. So, and can you describe in detail those effects it has on? No, please don't. No, <laughs> no, 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 resting, resting it has those effects on me. So yeah, Ho Garden's very very popular wheat beer probably falls into that really mass produced category, but uh, no off notes to it. It's it's very pleasant to drink. But um, what's your thoughts on? You, did you, you get a lemon or something in the Ho Garden? What was your thoughts on putting fruit in beer? Uh look, look um, yeah. Uh, look, I am. I must say, I have been guilty in the past of putting you know fruit or uh, lemon in the the Ho Garden, but. I, I wouldn't do it now. Um, actually, it was a, a mate of mine who probably sums it up better, and he's not a craft beer guy at all. Um, and I think it was in deference to a much uh, larger brewery um, uh, around that what he was saying this about. But he said, well, basically, if you have to add something to it, then what's the point? It must be pretty crap in the first place or something like that. So it's like, so that's kind of my philosophy about, I wouldn't necessarily add things to two beer, I think now. So yeah, we've had one Australian beer, three European beers, Grum, choice three. Uh, I'm going to stick with Europe for now. Uh, it's kind of in order, so that's I guess that's where the uh, the journey began. So uh, so Cantillon had to get a mention, um, and I go with uh, Rosé de Gambrinus because uh, raspberries are good. I think uh, they they add uh, well, maybe one of the best fruit flavors that to pair with uh, to pair with beer. Um, and again, it was just. Um, a whole different style. I guess we'd got to the point where we we're expecting big and interesting flavors come with big alcohol and uh, very sweet and heavy beers. Um, and then trying a beer uh, like the sours that Canton produce and the amazing balance and blend and flavors and yeah, the completely different um, flavor set that you get. 
and yeah, it's probably the uh, the, the best um, uh, and most traditional um, brewery going around for um, sour beers. So yeah, uh, just love the brewery um, and yeah, pretty much all their beers. But and when you were drinking these these type of beers, had you when you'd gone over to Europe, had you kind of just been drinking the the local beer and then moved on to these because they're, they're quite avant-garde your three choices so far uh, so yeah no these did, pro- these weren't you... the first beers i had i think their style i didn't really love the blondes initially um the doubles i did triples i never really got into too much um so yeah it was just that that was kind of the direction i took um and did you kind of see have to seek these out in in specialist shops or because you couldn't necessarily go down to the local tesco in in london and get that some true. of these yeah. uh, beers uh yes pretty much we had a few bars we used to go to regularly um and they they always had a good selection um so it was more about discovering beers so i wouldn't deliberately go around and say all right i need to find a canteon somewhere or ah, yeah, yeah. um uh, well rush was very readily available but yeah we we traveled around and we went to the west Fletton brewery so we could try things there and um yeah a lot of traveling and a lot and you know you'd, you'd hear stories about really good bars so you would go and check some out and whatever they had on you'd try so I was like, i'll try that i'll try that so i went oh, through great. several beers yeah great so no tesco metro involved that's all i wanted to clear off <laughs> yeah. um, only for travel so <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah to work in probably <laughs> so, uh fraser choice three uh three for me what is oh yeah well uh <laughs> it's another one for europe I think Europe's going to win this one. Um, yeah, so it's a Golden Corollas Classic, um, which is a beer that, yeah, well, I, I certainly fell in love with. And I probably had a similar effect when Graham was talking about earlier with the um, the Rochefort 8. Uh, this one had a similar effect on me. I mean, a real sort of spicy character to the to the whether it's the proprietary yeast they use or whether it's the additives they put in there. There's a little bit of like a licorice, you know, hint and that to it, a bit of aniseed and that sort of thing, and just a beautiful uh, example of a lovely um, malt-driven beer that's you know that's that I found really, um, although it is eight and a half percent, it was lovely on a warm day as well as on a on a cold day and um and just yeah you know family-owned brewery um and a terrific you know we visited that brewery as well and um it's one of those places where yeah you just i i think it's it's once you once you're in a place and as grum was sort of saying i mean part of the the fun for us going over there was wasn't necessarily seeking out particular stuff, you know, as you as you might do you know when you you're here and you're aware of different beers coming in it was like right okay we're here now Let's just see what's around, and and you take it, you know, you go from bar to bar or brewery to brewery. Oh, what's local? Oh, let's go and visit this, and then you'd have these beers and go, oh wow, I haven't had that, and you know, chatting to the locals and that sort of thing, and you'd get, um, you know, you get recommendations from them or the or the bar staff or the owners and that, and so you go, yeah, so you go around that, but yeah, that was certainly um, one of my, I guess, the one that pushed me over into the edge of that really um, big style of beer and. Uh, and just a great, um, just a great example of an independent Belgian brewery, you know, mm. that had really consistent, um, consistent quality as well. So, yeah, and also I think that speaks to a bit for a lot of people now uh, drinking craft beer that it's a, all about the hops and it's kind of chasing the hops. But there is some exceptional examples of malt-driven beers, mm. and I think uh, it's pro- possibly a bit more nuanced. But I think 
uh, it's so satisfying a really good malt beer yeah uh, malt driven beer which is um yeah i think that that's a really good example we're, we're halfway through the choices um th- this might be i don't know whether it'd be a difficult question to ask or you might have a very clear vision but where do you see exit in three years or four or five years what's the is it world domination is that the <laughs> what what's the um what's the plan um, oh, well, look, we... All the we, dream, we, should I say? Yeah, plan, plan sounds yeah, very business-like. Yeah, no, in, uh, look, uh, you want... Uh, look, we want to... I don't think our philosophy will change, you know. I mean, I think our philosophy is what it is, and we strive to um, develop interesting beers um, that people like to have of a high quality that they, you know, that, that, that basically opens up, you know, um, their their ideas to, to different styles of beer. Um, we definitely want to, I mean, I'll, we've always been, it's probably been one of the, I guess, one of the benefits from, you know, spending a lot of time in uh, living in the UK, Europe, and doing a lot of traveling around and that. And I, I see beer as very universal. Like I've got, I've you know, we've both got friends in the beer scene all, you know, all over the world, you know, um, and... I it's not so much a world domination, but I, I I get a kick out of any time I see our beers, you know, being drunk or being sold or being appreciated by people, you know, from from all over the world. I you know it it is one of those really really nice things. So I'd love to I'd love to get out there and about. We, we've we've got pretty good distribution in you know Australia at the moment. I mean we're in we're in uh, Queensland uh, and WA. Um, New South Wales and Victoria, you know, pretty well at the moment. Um, so it's it's definitely we'd like to expand beyond that. I mean, my philosophy or our philosophy is, well, look, we want if anybody wants our beer, we'll you know we're we're happy to talk to anybody about you know how we can how we can deliver that. Um, the obviously the Australian market's a little bit different. I mean, we've done everything independently, so we don't have a national distributor to look after us. So we've had to deal with sort of the markets in, independently. So it's it's easier in some ways because it gives you a lot more control over what you can and can't do and how how you approach those markets but it's also much more difficult to you know you don't have somebody a bit bigger sort of backing you and that to sort of get you out there so look if we're still around in three years i think that that'll be a um a step in the right and i don't want to that sort of sounds like a doom laden statement (laughs) I, i certainly expect us to be around in three years but if we're still around in three years with the current market with the number of breweries that are starting up you know on a weekly or monthly basis in australia um it's going to be a pretty decent achievement i think because you know, we're going to have to expand the craft beer market in Australia. And I mean, you know, to the traditional non-craft beer pubs and public, you know, that's the next challenge. That Well, that is the biggest challenge for the, I believe, for the industry to um, to to actually help try to um, convert typical non-craft beer drinkers to craft beer because that's how our market's going to grow and allow more breweries to come up there. At the moment, you've got, you know, all of the breweries. It's great to see so many breweries starting up and all that sort of thing, but it's if we're all competing for a tiny space, there's only so much space on the shelves and on the bars. It's, you know, it doesn't take a rocket mm-hmm. science to work out that it's going to be very, very difficult to go yeah. forward. I think that's a very good point. Like if you look at, everyone goes, oh, you know, Australia will follow the US and, and the strength of craft beer in the UK as well and the percentage that gets sold. But if you go over there, every bar tends to have at least a pale ale, a good craft beer. Uh, whereas here you go still probably 90% of bars to have you know, just the big couple of breweries and that's it and you just don't get a look in. So I think something does have to change for us to be able to grow as uh, as we'd like to. Yeah, I think the move recently for a lot of breweries to open their own bar 
or uh, sell beers in a brew pub um, scenario is probably it's great but it's probably an indicator of how difficult it is to break that into the mainstream and get that get on the pub taps and so on yeah. um because that is basically the resort the resorting to having to sell it yourself yeah well um, that's it i guess a lot of the, the big um pubs that are owned by the big breweries all the all the taps are contracted out you, you know they wouldn't even think about they can't sort of yeah, and it's it's long contracts as well. I couldn't believe it. some of the contracts is kind of five, ten years contracts and things. So, it, it that it, I suppose that is a big challenge for for Australia uh, to to break through that because it's it's quite a uh, wouldn't use the word monopoly, but uh, it's quite it's quite locked down. Duopoly, but it, it, yeah. it may be a monopoly soon. Yeah. Well, let's get into the last six beers. We've got. Um, I'm going to start with you, Phrase. So we've got. Um, Beer four. Okay, number four. Okay, well, <laughs> guess what? It's in Europe again. A um, <laughs> lot, of, lot of shock there. So, um, yeah, obviously I've spoken about Brewdog once. So um, the next beer would be Brewdog Hardcore IPA, uh, which to me um, was that, – that was a pivotal uh, beer for me because up until that point – Look, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a bit embarrassed to say this, you know, in these days, but once upon a time, you know, Fraser didn't necessarily like hops that much, you know, um, it was, it's, you know, it's like I am, you know, I'm not, not proud of this fact, but you know, <laughs> I didn't, so I guess the interesting thing for me was when Hardcore IPA came out and we were living over there and we could get it nice and fresh and, um, to have this beer, which at the time when it was first brewed was the most bitter British beer ever brewed. Around about 120 IBUs, I think it was. I think that was around about it. Um, but I found I could not only drink it, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm like, wow, this is great. It was such a beautiful balance between the malt um, and, and the hops and thought, oh, maybe these hops things, are, maybe there's a future in these hops things. You know, <laughs> they, they might actually have a chance here, you know, if they could go on like this. So, so yeah, I guess that's uh, that's one of those um, one of the things. So yeah, so that's the I guess that had that had to be on the list because that certainly pushed me into those hoppy style of beers. You know, there's been no looking back since then. So uh, yeah, and Grum choice uh, four. Yeah, I'm gonna come back to Australia or come to Australia. So um, I'm gonna go with the Kaiju Aftermath, which is another double IPA, um, and it was just it was. Um, Basically, when I came back to Australia and was trying some beers, um, and that particular beer, it was like I was uh, just stoked and and you know so pleased that Australians were making beer that good. So you know, when I left Australia, there wasn't much going on. You know, you, just, you had a few breweries, and but they weren't out and about. So I hadn't tried many of the beers to start with, and the ones I had tried, they were, they were good, but they weren't amazing. So coming back and, and having a beer that I found amazingly good um, from an Australian brewery just made me happy and yeah, sort of probably cemented the idea that it's it's worth opening a brewery here and they're, they're, you know, Australians can appreciate some of the best beer in the world. It's, it, it is really exciting having a local beer, which is, is great. And it's kind of only getting to the stage, I think, in the re- last couple of years where we're really sort of being able to compete on the world stage in terms of Australian beers being world-class. Perhaps they have been that for longer, but only kind of just on that um, getting wave of confidence, like yeah. people getting confident to say, no, this is made in Australia and it's 
it's great. There is a lot more breweries making very high quality beer, and mm. it is great to see. So, but I think a lot of people had to put a lot of attention into the quality to make sure they don't have the faults in the beer. Um, yep. And it's yeah, it's so easy to get faults in your beer. So you've, yeah, you've got to be on the ball the whole time. And you're brewing in the same premises as Kaiju. We are now, yes. And um, so t- tell us a little bit about that. I guess Fraser befriended them from the start because uh, he told them how much he loved their beer every time he saw them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we did end up brewing in the same brewery. Uh, so we sort of met each other through work as well. And yeah, so became friends and colleagues. Um, and then when they were moving out and wanted a, a, a partner brewery, um, yeah, we were stoked to, to be offered the role and jumped at the chance. Yeah, and how's it... Ha- but I want to ask you the question as well. How's it work between the both of you as well? It's... it's between what, Graham what, and I? Or? Yeah, what's... Uh, actually, we'll, we'll t- you can tell me in confidence, phrase. What's it like working with Grom? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I have to check to see if he's got his baseball bat with him or <laughs> not. I'm, 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 I'm in a Conus Island, so I can't hear Yeah, Because this thing always works. Look, in all seriousness, it's great. I mean, we look, we probably went through a period where, you know, when you're starting off these things, because neither of us knew what the hell we were doing when we started off, you know, I mean, apart from... Do you know what we're doing now? No, I still don't, but at least... Can you tell me? We kind of know what each other's doing now, whereas before we we kind of you know so a lot of it was de- was developing and it, and it's clear you know it was clear obviously Grum's you know much better than me from a brewing perspective so it was much better that he take over that side of things, um, whereas I probably can look after a lot more uh, sort of the admin and maybe a couple of you know vi- things like the vision going forward and how you know d- different sort of avenues like that. But now look, it's in all seriousness, you know, there's not that many times you get to work with, you know, like your best mate and that kind of thing and do and create products or, or something, whatever it is you're doing that people, you know, if you're making, if you can create something and make people happy and, you know, there's nothing more satisfying than that, you know, in the, well, and it's just, so that's a, yeah, that's a great thing, you know, sort of thing. It's just a shame you don't make any money out of it, you know, it'd be, <laughs> be really good if you could make money, but, you know, hey, everything else is pretty good. So. Is that the plan? I don't know. <laughs> well, keep going for another another couple of days anyway. Check the yeah, we, we can keep going for a couple of days. So. And uh, Grom, what's it like working with Fraze? Um, I don't know. Do I work with Fraze? <laughs> I'm um, really here. Yeah, well, just I guess Fraze allows me to just brew. Um, and that's, you know, there's a lot of people around who would love the job. Oh, I would love to be a brewer, but it's very expensive. Um, and there is a lot of um, uh, overheads to running a business and it's, yeah, it's, it's hard work, so mm. um, yeah, it's, it works out perfectly that you know together we can pretty much get everything done and you know, hopefully uh, have a successful company in three years' time. There you go. That's a dream. So, so any, any potential buyers in three years' time, you know, that want to have, what, maybe 70, 80 million? Something like that? Well, that, that uh, you know, I'd go 100. 100, yeah, yeah, 100, yeah. Three yeah. figures, yeah. yeah. We'll, You've got to split it. Is that 80 each or...? Oh yeah, that'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we, if we had that much money, we could buy a brewery. <laughs> be really good. I like that where you're discussing the exit strategy. Oh, <laughs> you've been waiting all day to do that, haven't you? How how many times can I get exit into the uh, into the podcast? You know. In a cool way. There you go. That's number one. By yeah. The way. Well, uh, being fair, any venue that you go to, you do see a name up in lights. So uh, that, that is... was yeah. When I thought of the name, that was one of the first thing that came to <laughs> to, to my head. Like, oh, it's free advertising everywhere. Because <laughs> uh, just for those people who don't know, how did you come about the name? <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll tell the story. So yes. Um, well, Grum Grum came up with the name. Um, 
We were actually in uh, Northern Ireland at uh, Grum's son's Jacob's uh, christening weekend. And uh, I was staying with them in Grum's father-in-law's place. And uh, we'd obviously been out a few beers, whatever. I can't remember if this was pre or post christening or whatever. But um, get up having breakfast one morning and Grum uh, comes through um, after, you know, doing what you do when you first get up in the morning and uh, announces, uh, I think I've got a name. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. And bearing in mind my remit before, and I said, look, I um, I had a couple of, you know, things with the name. I said, look, um, I don't want it to be associated with anywhere geographically. It's, you know, I, I see that as such a, you know, you're tying yourself to such a, you know, small kind of market there. I said, I want it to be one word, and I don't want any dogs in the title. You know, there's enough breweries out there with dog in the title. You know, it's as much as I love brew dog and moon dog and dogfish head and all the other ones. It's like flying dog. There's we don't need any more dogs. So um, that's that's it. Um, so anyway, Grum comes out and he says, uh, "I think I've got a name." Um, uh, exit. And I was like, "Okay, all right." I was you know a bit underwhelmed to be honest at first when he said it. I thought, oh, "All right." And then he started to explain it, and he said, "Well, you know, yeah." exit out of the world of you know crappy beer into okay so warm to it a little bit and then he says oh yeah and well we're we're uh you know from it background so we're ex it so that's where the exit comes from basically being ex it so there you go and at that point i was like i was ready you know basically giving him a standing ovation at that point i thought oh that's uh, that, that, that's that's brilliant you know when you sort of that so so yeah so that's essentially the history of the uh, the history of the the name behind exit so yeah. it, it's probably the best story i've heard of a of a name so well done crumb oh, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, i think we're up to choice five phrase. we are indeed yeah i've steered the ship way back towards europe again um, two, uh, in my opinion, the greatest brewery in the world, um, and one and a beer that Grum's already mentioned, uh, Cantillon Rosé de Gambrinus. Uh, once again, the uh, basically the lambic with uh, raspberries added to it, which was probably the first of those type of beers that really got me into the style of the the, the lambic style beers, um, and and consequently made me try a lot of others, and then basically fall in love with Cantillon as a brewery. Um, but yeah, it was it was just a it's just one of those wonderful beers that's beautiful and refreshing, you know, and it just shows it's such a, uh, an amazing um, flavor profile for something that's really quite simple. Although it takes a long time for the finished product to come out, it's actually quite a simple, you know, made process from ingredients. But it's just an amazing, amazing beer, and um, just from an absolutely fantastic brewery. So. And you're canning your saison, is that right? Yes, we well we did last Saturday week ago. I think yeah, we did a yeah. I, well, when I say I think I know because I was here and putting stickers on six packs. So yes, we definitely did can them, <laughs> and, and I've actually even had a few in the cans as well. So yeah, we got we used the um, we, we were fortunate enough to get uh, use of the guys from East Coast Canning um, who've canned for a lot of the breweries. Uh, mm between um, New South Wales and Victoria and beyond, I think, um, with the mobile canning line. And, um, yeah, so they brought that down, and so we had access to it for a day, so we thought we'd get some cans made up and uh, put into Saison. We thought it would be a little little bit different because um, the, uh, you know, I mean, obviously pale ales and everything go really well. IPAs go really, really well in cans. And we just thought, oh, well, look, the the Saison's kind of 
been a beer that's been associated with us probably pretty strongly since the start. it's always been it's the first beer we brewed it's beer we've had you know we've we've done pretty well it's been judged pretty well at um you know at events down down the line and a lot of people are quite passionate about it um we're really really good supporters about it so um and we're pretty proud of it as well so we thought well it's kind of almost I don't like using the term signature beer, but it's one that's certainly become associated with us. So, yeah, that's why we wanted to use the Saison, I guess. Yeah, excellent. So, Grom, uh, choice five. Number five. Uh, well, it was a brewery that was mentioned earlier, um, the Colonel. Um, and it's yeah, just a, a, well, it was a very small, now it's only a small brewery, I think. But uh, apparently they're not doing the Saturdays anymore. Yeah, that's what I heard too. Mm, so yeah, so no, nah, that's uh, that's controversial. Basically, got they they got too many people coming and they can't fit them in anymore. So they, I think they're working on a way to to do the Saturday mornings. But um, yeah, they uh, it was a IPA, I think, um, by style. But um, they just called it Scans, and it was a basically the uh, acronym of Hopsated. So I think it was Simcoe, Centennial, Amarillo, and Nelson Savine, from memory. Um, and yeah, just. And pale IPA that was very drinkable, um, very fresh. Um, you know, I guess probably still in the early phases and understanding about, especially I guess coming through the Belgian style beers where freshness doesn't matter anywhere near as much. You'd go and say, oh, you'd find like a, um, a Kive van der Kuys that was six years old and be like, oh, an old one, awesome. I'll, I'll try this, see how it's aged. Um, and then getting into uh, understanding hops and, and, and enjoying them. And okay, so this is the flavour profile of fresh hops. Um, so I think I learnt a lot from that beer. And um, again, um, memorable in the journey because of where we had it and who we had it with and being at the brewery and you know, meeting other people. And yeah. Just and what was those Saturday mornings? What what were we talking? Are we talking uh, twenty people, fifty people, five people? Um, we... I'd, I'd say fifty. Odd. Yeah, I'd, I reckon around about fifty. I mean, it was. It's a pretty, you know, it was a pretty small pretty place. Tiny. They had a couple of big sort of tables out the front, yeah. didn't they? But generally, people standing as well outside. I mean, you could go and buy beer to take away, but there would be a lot of people, and it was, it was kind of a rite of passage, you know, particularly for I guess those of us that were really, you know, into the into the craft beer sort of scene at that time and you'd, you'd see a lot of the same people you know that you that uh there that you know on a week-to-week basis or whatever that kind of thing so not that i went there every week but um it was certainly yeah it was one of those things that it's always whenever you had friends down you go oh we'll, we'll take to the colonel on saturday you know kind of thing it was another excuse <laughs> most weekends you're already in belgium or something yeah well that's <laughs> true yeah that's true yeah <laughs> okay so we're coming down to your final beer thanks for taking us through your journey so far um phrase Beer six, the last one to complete the six pack. Yeah, well, I, I reckon Grum has either had my place bugged in terms of the beers or something like this, you know, like when he's going through, I'm going at any done it beautifully to steal my thunder on each occasion just about so um i've actually although he he mentioned kaiju aftermath i'm i'm showing my age by uh nominating uh monster mash double ipa which was the um precursor before as you may or may not know kaiju had an issue where they had to they were originally called monster mash and had to change their name um but anyway um the reason i've picked it is apart from being awesome guys and great friends of ours and brewing fantastic beers. When I first moved back to Australia from the UK in 2012, um, 
And I'd been, obviously, you know, we'd been exposed to a lot of beers from all over the joint. And I used to come back to Australia, you know, like probably once every year just for a holiday, catch up with my folks and that. And I'd obviously hunt out beers here and didn't really know so much about where to go. But, I, I, you know, I was generally underwhelmed by the choice. More the fact that, you know, oh, you get plenty of pale ales and, you know, maybe a Pilsner in that occasionally or, you know, a golden ale or something like this. And it was like, all right, there will... There didn't seem to be many breweries out there kind of pushing the envelope flavour wise. Or certainly none that I'd heard of. There there probably was, but I you know, I I didn't know them at the time. So um I just remember one time drinking at one of my favourite uh, places, Slow Beer in Richmond, and they, um, the, Chris, the owner there, pulled out this this bottle, uh, this Monster Mash, and um, he says, "Oh, yeah, you'll you'll really like this," because he knew I like double IPAs, and uh, he said, "Oh, you'll you'll really really like this." So, so it's a new Australian double IPA, and I was like, "Okay, all right, an Australian double IPA, eh? okay, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm going to like this." <laughs> And uh, then, anyway, I had it, and I was like, oh, wow, how awesome is this? You know, who are these guys, you know, and everything, and then sort of found out about it. And then after that, I used to, I was basically, well, I consider myself the original Monster Mash Kaiju fanboy. I used to stand out the front of their um, their stand at beer festivals and say to people, you got to get in here, you got to buy this beer, this is the best double IPA in Australia, come on, try it. So, And occasionally I'd get... Um, an odd beer from Nat and Callum if they were, uh, if I was, you know, if I wasn't too annoying, which was, you know, not that often, but uh, yeah, so, but no, though, yeah, it just, a, it really was an example. And, and look, the other thing is too, I think where we had a great, um, we, we, there's a little bit of synergy, I guess, in terms of, I was so impressed at the fact that it's two young blokes starting off a brewery independently by themselves. And the first beer they decide to release to the market is a, a 9% double IPA in 500 ml bottles. Um, that's that's gutsy, you know. That's really, really good in this inner market and that. And probably, like, a lot of people have said that about our Saison, but equally, these guys have come out and gone, right, here's a double IPA. That's what we're bringing to the market first. Bang. That's a statement, you know. That's yeah. a that's So I, I really admired that because, you know, um, yeah, it was just such a terrific thing to do. Really bold, I thought, so, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love pale ales and and everything and all this and that as well. But you know this, you know to see, you know to see those guys do that, or you know other breweries start off and go right. We're gonna, you know, here's a here's a big, big, challenging, you know, beer or something that's just completely different to what's you know is out there on the market. And so this is how we're going to identify ourselves. It's that's great. I think it's I think it's gutsy, and it just show you know you can't. You know, there's no there's no accountant you're going to go to that's going to say to you, yeah, that's the that's the right beer you should release in the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely there's so much money in a um, you know the the market is crying out for 500 mils of a nine percent uh, double IPA in a market that at that stage was pretty you know light on for double IPAs. It's like yeah, it's didn't make any sense you know from the yeah. accountant side of things, um, you know, but. From the passion side, absolutely. Yeah. And my, my accountant wants the Scotch ale back, but um, that's nothing to do with us making money. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you might have to do a couple of one-off batches for yeah. that, maybe. Fine. Yeah, you don't want to give your accountant too many beers. So, <laughs> <good point>. so, <laughs> so we're down to the final beer of, of your collective 12, so Grum. Um, I am going to come back to Australia, and um, it was I think it was, a, I think it was just a trip back, um, even before we moved back, and... We went up to uh, the Yarra Valley and went to um, Hargraves Hill and went through the tasting room and it's like, yep, they had a Russian Imperial Stout. Um, yeah, okay. It's probably the same, same uh, 
mindset, as a phrase had. And um, had you at this point, had you both become snobs? Bit, yeah, pretty like, because well, you're Belgium. Yeah, totally. Yeah, pretty much. Nothing to do with Belgium. It's just snob. Like I'm a coffee snob. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like the same as in beer. You just stop enjoying bad beer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I'm It used to be you'd go anywhere and just drink beer because there was beer on, and you'd drink and you get drunk and. But yeah, when you start drinking beer for taste, you kind of have to be a beer snob yeah. to a certain level. You know, you don't have to rub it in people's face, I guess, and that's no, what just, some people. If, I, if someone takes me to a shit pub, I'll just drink wine. Yeah, that's it. If there's only crap beer on, I'm not going to give those big companies money just for the sake of it. Fuck them. They can. Just, I'll just drink wine instead. So, yeah. so I went through the um, the tasting tray and had. I think I we had a small snack and. Yeah, and just got to the Russian Imperial Stout, which I didn't think they usually served, but they uh, they happened to have an open bottle, and I was like, oh yeah, There's, they've they've got this one spot on, that's amazing. So I think I bought a couple of bottles, and I think you were still in the UK at that point, so put one in my closet and left one for you, and yeah, just did I get that? I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't remember receiving that bottle. It was yeah. it was a nice thought you had anyway. Yeah. That was that was well, really good that you that thought was my plan. That. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know where it went. If you didn't get it, but it may be gathering dust. Well, mate, yeah, I might go to my parents' place. It might still be there. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Dick wouldn't have had it. That's for sure. So yeah, no, nice. yeah, my mum might have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So, and was that in a, a large bottle? Or? Yeah, it was a yeah. 750, yeah, 750, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and again, would be high percentage, sort of. Yeah, eleven and a half, I think. Yep. So definitely high. Yeah, but so yeah, well. Great choices. I really enjoyed listening to both your choices. Phrase, you've already told the perfect receptacle that you you tulip glass man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Grum's one. Grum, if you've got perfect... What what are you going to drink these six beers out of? Um, Well... I would pr- do I have to, does that have to be one glass? <laughs> uh, well, you can talk us through. So, uh, well, I, I think I used to, especially when when I used to go about to Belgium and go to beer festivals, and it, we used to really enjoy getting like each each brewery had each beer's own glass, and you'd yeah, go up there, and, um, and you, yeah, you would really enjoy it. And most of the good bars used to do the same thing. Um, I guess when you're drinking at home, you don't really want to dirty a glass for every uh, beer that you're going to have. Um, not that you're going to have too many more than two, I guess. Is that no, no, responsible? That's right. yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Occasionally three. But I, I, I basically just have um, some cheapish tulip glasses that I found and bought a whole bunch for a party, and they work really well. They're quite thin, um, which is which works well. But um, you know they do break as well. But being being cheap, it doesn't matter so much. So. So, yeah, they go, they go in a dishwasher. They're easy to use, but they've got a, a nice shape that does allow you to enjoy the beer. So that's my that's my standard glass, and that's pro- probably what I drink out of. Perfect. So Frey's yours was a tulip glass, and yep. Grom was a cheap tulip glass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, you can tell the class difference right there, you know, kind of thing as well. That's right, you know. And also, you get to choose your um, ideal beer snack oh, to yeah, accompany the so six yeah, beers. Yeah, now, well, this one, it'd be interesting to see if we're the same here. Um, and it's it's another, I guess, influence of the, the Belgians, um, which are going over there and, and what so many of the bars do. And it's it's really, really simple, but it's so good. Um, basically, bits of cheese or uh, generally like smoked salted meats with um, dipped in mustard. That was it. You just can't go wrong, and you get, and it's kind of the thing when when you you get it there and you get it the first first time you have it, and you get the chopsticks and you put the 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 bit of cheese in the mustard and you have it with a beer and you're going, why doesn't every bar in the world have this? This is like, this should be compulsory. You shouldn't be able to open a beer bar unless you serve cube cheese, 
and either salami or different sort of uh, chorizo or some kind of like smoked meats with mustard. That should be it. It's it should be illegal to not have that. So that's and that's instead, more. instead we were bamboozled by warm nuts. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Out of those communal dishes, yeah, like that's great because because humans are so good with hygiene. I found too. So yeah, I love that. Uh, let's you know. Well, maybe we should just have the chopsticks near the peanut bowl so you can't use your fingers. Maybe that's yeah, the solution okay. as well. Yeah. And Grum, uh, I'm not a big fan of snacking mm. while drinking. Um, I just prefer to enjoy the beer. Um, a couple of things I've enjoyed. The I, like I, I will if I'm hungry. I might have uh, some meat. Uh, I don't. Like the cheese idea is good. Uh, one thing I re- did really like actually was uh, with Motolambic had the malted, mm. um, just malted barley. So you had your your grains, you chew on a couple of those, and really simple, and sort of doesn't take away from the beer at all. So doesn't because I, I find if you have anything too sweet or salty or it affects your palate too much, so. Yeah, you have some uh, malted barley, and it's like, hmm, nice. So, oh, excellent. Yeah, that is that is good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Grum's talking about you know probably one of the best beer bars in the world. Um, they're in uh, in Brussels, Middle Olympic, and yeah, it's a terrific thing they do with the little dishes of uh, malted barley. I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, that's probably because I don't consider that to be a snack. That's like that's just, <laughs> I do it, but I was like, that's not enough for me. You know, you can tell by the size difference between me and Grum. That's not, that might be a snack for Grum. That's not a snack for me. You know, kind of thing. So, thank you very much for taking us through your chosen brew. Where can people find out more about you? Or you're in most bottle shops now around. Yeah, Melbourne yeah. I, I guess I'll, our website's pretty much got a list of the um, places you can uh, you can get us on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess if we're not in your favourite craft beer bottle shop, um, please ask them. Yeah. Um, hopefully they'll contact us and buy some and then you can get it at your local as well. That's Makes right. sense. Yeah. And uh, you've got any um, festivals or anything coming up? We're doing the South War Festival, which... Well, neither of us are going to be there because we got to go to some other dude's wedding on that day, uh, apparently, and my mum's 80th the next day. So I actually booked us in for this one and then realised, hey, I can't actually attend either day of these things. So um, somebody will be doing that for us. Um, we're also doing the uh, Federation Square Showcase for the gala for Good Beer Week. Um, so we're going to be there, which should be a lot of fun. The other thing we've got going, which is a little bit exciting, is... Um, we're very, very close to hopefully signing on a little venue focused on um, exit beers uh, in inner, inner Melbourne, um, which we'll hopefully be able to announce very, very soon. Um, but yeah, so it'll be basically a place where you can go and get all the all of our beers on tap, but also beers from our friends in the independent craft beer community as well. So um, yeah. fantastic! So, and yeah. uh, will you be able to get the little malted? little snacks I'm probably okay. yeah, yeah, well, I'll just bring some in yeah but yeah no but it's like it's actually yeah, a really good it's quite a novel thing and it's it's really interesting as Graham says that because you get a if you do take a few bites of the uh, malted barley and actually take some beer at the same time you kind of you taste the barley through the beer and it's like it kind of melds into one it's quite a quite wow. a really interesting taste so yeah it's pretty cool sounds almost spiritual it is so. well beer should be spiritual if, yeah. if if you know it's like if beer's not spiritual to you well you know i don't know well that's why they serve it yeah. in a chalice it, well <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, so, yeah, yeah. well thank you very much phrase thanks grom it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you so, cheers Zane. thanks a lot it's been fun much for having us, cheers So that was it. Exit Brewing, Fraze and Grom. Thanks very much to Fraze and Grom for making the time to record. 
it was a bumper episode which I just had really good fun making it was lovely to talk to such warm and approachable guys so if you see them out and about at any of the festivals um make sure you go over and and have a chat about beer and hopefully you get to try some of their their beers as well in the next episode i talk to casey from Westside ale works which is in south melbourne just off montague street here's a little sneak preview of the next episode yeah you instantly think of like a christmas tree when you when you drink this beer and when you smell it and get that aroma um but yeah it just it was so amazing to me like the amount of flavor that was in it and it's been really fascinating to visit and see different breweries and different people who are all at different stages and all trying to take a little different approach to the same road which is making really good beer and most importantly is making people happy i hope this episode made you feel happy listeners can't wait to have a beer with you next time see you later